Welcome back to The Christ in Culture, the show where we discuss culture as a means of evangelization by finding elements of Christ and his church revealed within. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. How's it going? <laughs> and here we sit. Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, man. I, I have like this, this mixed feelings. Uh, hopefully you guys have listened the last couple of weeks, but uh, we, we've been putting out this big announcement uh, that we're going to be taking a sabbatical from the show. But part of me is like just really sad, you know, because we've done this every week for the last three years now. But part of me is just really excited for like having weekends again, you know, and being able to go on trips and not have to <laughs> worry about who's recording and stuff like that or who's editing. So, um, yeah, I'm just really excited for what we can do in our ministries and stuff. But how are you feeling with everything? Good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a, a, uh, I've been working a, a lot more compared to like not, I guess, working. Not that I wasn't working, <laughs> but I was just very limited with what I could do. Okay. Uh, that just, sounded so funny. Like compared to I not know. working, I'm doing more than that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's one of those things. So I, I was working, but then I started up at St. Mary's and that's when I realized like, oh, like I haven't been working. Mm. And because it's like, I just got access to my office at Shrine like last week. Oh, seriously? Wow. Yeah. So like I was doing little things here and there, just trying to do some things virtually, but my kid, like it's hard to reach my kids if I can't like speak at mass or try to advertise anywhere. And so like I was doing stuff, but I wasn't doing any ministry. Um, and I didn't realize that until like, two weeks ago and I didn't realize how that it affected me spiritually until oh, like two weeks ago. It's been eating me up, dude. I am and, so excited to get back into it. Yeah. So we're about to kick off some ministry in the October and I didn't like all these preparations for it. And like the start of it has just like gotten me like super hype. So I'm doing really well, doing like really good time management each day. Uh, very staying on top of like my hourly schedule for the day. And it's been great. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of uh, time management and controlling what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not, what have you been taking in as far as media? Different things. Most of these things are things I forgot to mention on the last episode <laughs> since we were recording two back to back. So I made note of them while we were recording. I'm like, I want to remember this. Uh, me and Lizzie watched one show, um, which is a, newer show on netflix called love on the spectrum hmm. and it's like a dating show but not like a game show it's more like a documentary so it's like a it's like six episodes seven episodes and it's basically like a documentary on um people on the spectrum like with asperger's or autism and their pursuits of love um and I, I remember watching the first episode. I couldn't sleep. So I stayed up one night and watched the first episode because I've been like eyeing it. Like I'm just so curious because it seems like, like there's a whole bunch of love game shows on right now. So I don't want to watch it. But then I watched it and I was like, this is interesting. But I have mixed emotions. Like, should I watch this? Or are they exploiting people on the spectrum? So I had Lizzie watch one and, she, and we got hooked. And she's like, I don't know if they're exploiting it because they're like, they're not like making fun of or like using them as like, they're like really trying to paint a picture of like 
what autism is and how girls are typically like uh, diagnosed like much later, like 12 years old at the earliest or later, because there's only like booklets for boys. They still haven't created like a curriculum for girls with autism Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. But then they also like really follow these stories and it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's, it's kind of beautiful but it's interesting. And so I really know how to put it. I don't know if I would like necessarily recommend it. There's nothing bad about it. It's just, if someone does you that as exploiting, I'm not saying like, I recommend the show. I don't know where I stand. It's more of like something to watch and really kind of like take in. But um, Lizzie fell in love with a few of the people and they're like, you really see something we talk about on the show, our desire for love. Mm-hmm. You really do see that in some of these people who literally like one of the guys his greatest accomplishment is to be a husband. Like that's all he wants in life. He's already made like a plaque from when he gets married. He's already like, and like he said, like if he was married, I mean, it should be God, but his wife would be the most important person in his life. And like, it's just one of these things where I think like their, their view of love is so much, so much just because, you know, I don't know, but yeah, that's one thing. And I feel like a lot of the times it's not even just a desire to receive love. It's almost always like, I just want to give and give yeah. and give and give. And they and so all have so much to give too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, cool. So that was one. Uh, the other, the other three are, um, I, I said in the last episode, I listened to some music. There was one band in particular I've started listening to again, not like, specifically but just like i put them on and i play their radio and that's the the oh hellos and then i've been listening to also some like like speakeasy like 1920s music really yeah just like sometimes. swing or like no chill like jazz um uh like like is it art back uh like you know like um the people that like would play trumpet and then have like the really raspy like uh, voices when they sing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like blues or. Yeah. Like blues, jazz, I guess. Like, yeah. Okay. But more like of like the rougher. Like Nolan's jazz kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's just, I, I guess as far as like oldies go, that makes sense for you. <laughs> Take that as whatever. It just it just feels like if you're gonna listen to oldies, that seems like the only thing that would fit. I mean, I like it all. It's just situational. And like I, I'll put on like the radio and I'll play all of it, but I kind of skip around until I get one of those songs. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Neither <laughs> you need this the, the old ragdoll. <laughs> scatting? Is that that's what Oh man, I love scatting. Anyways. Uh and then I've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven, which is that board game I mentioned long ago. I got yeah. back into it because Ethan was here one weekend and we played with him. And then didn't tell any of us except for you, apparently. We stayed here. Okay. Yeah. It was, he was on a date. I know. Yeah. So that's Sly Dog. <laughs> so he came here. We played that like two times. And then me and Lizzie, the two times we played, uh, the story has just gotten to kind of like a really interesting hook now that like Lizzie's like, I kind of want to play more often. So we've been playing that a, a bunch because it's really, it's a lot, of, it's, it's interesting, I should say. And that's it. Cool. Uh, yeah. So 
that actually just reminded me that we've been playing D&D because uh, D&D is kind of similar to Gloomhaven. Except for uh, Ethan. Except for Ethan because he had this mysterious date. Uh, he's, I don't know if he still listens, but hopefully he's not embarrassed by that. Uh, you can cut it out, whatever. Uh, but yeah, we've been playing D&D and it's, it's getting to this really cool point. Uh, I know this is uh, kind of the campaign that you were a part of for a while too. And so it's kind of cool to see this has been going on for three years now too just how it's come together and everything. So that's, that's been fun. Um, my, one of my roommates just got the Hobbit deck building game. So we've been playing the Lord of the Rings deck building game. Now we have the Hobbit and the expansion pack to throw in with it. So then we took all of the games, threw them into one and played all four of them at once. So that was interesting. Uh, and then I watched the Netflix show, the dragon Prince show that to my roommates. And now they are hooked I love that show. It's so good. I don't care if it's for seven-year-olds. Everyone should watch it. Uh, and then uh, I've been watching, crazy enough, The Great British Bake Off. And as weird as that sounds for me, I got super invested into like certain bakers. And when they didn't win, I was so upset. It was ridiculous. Lizzie loves that show. Really? Yeah. And then I just found out that James Acaster did like a guest special, like fundraiser episode. So now I'm trying to find that, but I don't think it's on Netflix. So, mm. uh, and then I've been reading Redwall Mossflower, which is in part of the Redwall series by Brian Jakes, uh, and then listening to a lot of James T. W., who is a um, British kind of like folk RC singer. I think you'd enjoy him. But. And last but not least, I watched the movie A Knight's Tale which is an amazing movie has my favorite actor of all time. As you know, Heath Ledger. And to be honest, I can remember the first time I ever watched this movie. I remember exactly where it was in my cousin's house. And I was just like blown away from the first time. And it's not that spectacular of a movie, but I just, I love it. I have an unreasonable excitement for this movie. So a Knight's tale starring Heath Ledger and a bunch of other really big actors, actually. So first things first, let's go ahead and talk about some of the characters, I guess. All right. So first off, we have William Thatcher, who goes by Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein throughout most of the story. That's Heath Ledger. Uh, he's famous for playing the Joker in Dark Knight. He's in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, the Brothers Grimm, the Patriot, 10 Things I Hate About You, Ned Kelly, all kinds of stuff. He's amazing. If you don't know Heath Ledger, you must watch his stuff. Uh, the next character we see is Roland, played by Mark Addy. Uh, he's probably most famous now for playing um, Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones, but he's also in Downton Abbey and Robin Hood. Uh, Alan Tudyk plays the character Watt. If you don't know Alan Tudyk, that's because you've never watched a movie in your life because he's in just about everything. I, I like to look up on IMDb kind of just like different stuff that people are in to like offer you guys, but there was so much I literally could not choose. So I just put everything. Um, he's everything from like, Hey, Hey, the chicken in Moana to, I, I don't know, Star Wars. I'm pretty sure he's in Avengers and different stuff. He's in basically anything, voice acting for video games, you name it. Um, 
it says Alan Tudyk. And then we have Jeffrey Chaucer, who's the writer played by, by Paul Bettany. As you mentioned before, we started recording. He's in Avengers. He plays um, uh, Vision. He's in Legion, where he plays an angel. He's in the, the Da Vinci Code. He's in Inkheart, A Beautiful Mind, all kinds of stuff. And then the next one we have is Kate, played by, by Laura Frazier. She's in Breaking Bad and a bunch of other TV shows. She's probably one of the lesser known uh, actors in this. And then we have Count Adamar, played by Rufus Sewell. Sewell? I don't know how you pronounce it. He's in Marvelous Miss Maisel, which you said you really enjoyed that show. It's a great show. He's in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Killer, which I heard was awful. He's in The Illusionist and The Legend of Zora, which was actually a really solid movie. And then we have Jocelyn, played by Shannon Sossaman. She's one of the main characters as well. But I couldn't find anything that she was in other than this that I recognize. So I don't really have anything for you there. And then we have Prince Edward slash Sir Colville, played by James Purefoy. He's in a bunch of stuff like this. Very old soldiery kind of things. Like Ironclad, Solomon Kane, Camelot, and Rome. So those are the main characters. So let's go ahead and jump into just a short synopsis, and then we can jump into the show itself. So basically, the story is there's a peasant who is uh, William Thatcher, who serves a knight and helps him with jousting. And then he starts to pretend to be a knight himself when his master dies. Uh, it's obviously very dangerous and illegal, but he becomes the most famous knight in all of jousting and tries to win over the heart of uh, this, like, I don't know if she's actually a princess, but she's essentially like the princess character, Jocelyn. Mm -hmm. She's a very high nobility if she's not a princess. Yeah, and he's like, he, they, it's interesting because he's just like a knight, but nobody knows who he is, right? Like, Yeah, and, and that's why they have Chaucer because Chaucer has to fake the paperwork so that they can right. prove that he's even a knight because he starts off as like this nobody. He just makes it up. He's like, I'm from Liechtenstein. <laughs> and right. Liechtenstein's like, or people in like England and France are just like, oh yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it's funny because they like ask him to share his culture and like dances and music and stuff like that. And he just makes it up on the spot because he has no idea what's going on. Uh, and so that's always a little bit of comedic relief there. Yeah. So that's, that's the synopsis. As always, I just like going through the story itself. So hopefully you guys have seen this before. I'm going to try to only hit major points that are super relevant mm. uh, and not get too long with this. But essentially, like I said, his, his knight, Sir Ector, dies. Um, but they are so poor, they haven't eaten in days, and they need the money or they're basically going to die. So in the middle of this tournament, William decides to ride in his place, and they end up winning, and he gets enough money uh i think it's like 15 gold or something like that so they each have five and it's enough for them to go home and eat and uh like they'll probably at least get back home and they'll be all right kind of thing um but roland and watt are ready to just kind of call it quits take their five gold call it good that's that's where they are but william is like no we can do this we can take these uh, these, like I said, silver, not gold. Take this, these silver pieces, use it for training, just get enough food to eat a little bit, and we can win 
so much money we'll never have to work as like slaves or peasants ever again essentially and so William is trying to convince Roland because Roland's usually a little bit easier to convince than Watt in this whole thing. And so he says, you see, money doesn't matter. Roland, please, with 13 silver pieces, three men can change their stars. And that's kind of a recurring line of like changing their, their, their stars, which we can talk about too. But what came to mind here is kind of like the idea of immediate pleasure versus going for the real prize. So I don't know if you want to comment on that. William is Heath Ledger, right? Yes. And he's the one who wants to keep going and try and win. Right. But William said, you see money doesn't matter. Yeah. So the other guys are just like, they they just want silver. So his idea is like, we can, we can rise to something greater than just peasants. That's his goal. It's not yeah, the silver. Isn't rising that by gaining more money? Not necessarily, because he wanted he wanted knighthood. Okay. That's ultimately what, what his goal was. Okay. And so to convince the other guys, he was like, you can have more money. Like you will get more. You'll have enough. You'll be able to be free from all of the like constraints you have as peasants. You'll never have to starve again. That's kind of what he was saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it makes sense in the idea that, I mean, I like the line, you know, with 13 pieces of silver, three men can change the stars. And just this idea, it reminds me of like the, like a plow, like a mule driven plow. And that you don't, when, when you have mules attached to a plow, you don't like look down at where you're plowing to make sure you're keeping a straight line. You look at the where you're where you want to end the Mm -hmm. person just stays and looks at that and make sure that the mules stay in that line um and that's what you're trying to hit uh and so if you're just stuck on like this is all this is what i need this is what i got i got it i'm done rather than like that's what i'm trying to achieve like that is the goal then you're not you can't do great things if you're just focused like with blinders on yeah okay so this the reason why I kind of thought about this, and I, I think you're you're hitting it to a certain extent there, it kind of made me think of um, Paul's writings. And I just okay. had to look it up, but it, it's the first Corinthians where he kind of talks about, um, well, there's running the race so as to win, but ultimately winning the crown. But he talks about winning a crown that is not of uh, like an, uh, the olive crown, right? But the, the crown of, of heaven itself, right? Right. And so in a different part here in First Corinthians, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take that prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. So it's this idea of like, you're pursuing uh, like Roland and Watt. All they could think about was drinks and food. That's what they were going to spend their money on. And then they'd be right back to where they were. But William saw like the bigger picture of where they could be truly liberated from their, uh, their oppression. Uh, and they were seeking this, this grander prize. Obviously it's not a perfect comparison, but I think he's like, he's seeing these long-term goals rather than the immediate pleasures of just like drinking and partying the night away. Um, and so that's kind of what I was getting at of like, there's this thing that goes beyond. Um, and for, for him, 
that wasn't heaven. It was being remembered. It was more important. Right. Or like having people cheer his name. Right. Um, but the, the desire is still there, I think. Yeah, not totally. So not long after that, they come across, uh, you said your favorite character and one of mine as well, Chaucer, who's actually based off of the actual British uh, writer, Chaucer. Um, and he's in a bit of a predicament. You can watch the movie. I would recommend not watching it with children. Um, but they make a deal where he will basically make fake proof of William's nobility as Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein in exchange for clothes, food, and a chance to rest, essentially. And so he joins their group. Um, and they go to the next city, and this is where, as he's walking around, he finds Jocelyn, and he's just stricken by her, and he follows her while riding his horse into a cathedral, and he gets kicked out by the bishop. Um, and <laughs> the bishop kind of scolds her. Uh, <laughs> this is it's such an awkward scene. Uh, but this, this whole movie kind of, like, mocks Christianity a little bit. Yeah. Not in a way that's, like, outrageous, but it... it takes actual like flaws that we've had in the past, I think. Um, and so in this part, the Bishop scolds Jocelyn uh, and tells her that she should pray that she gets old so that her beauty is no longer a curse. Um, and she's just like, Oh, I do. I pray that every day. Um, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll skip ahead because there's kind of some stuff in here about, uh, Chaucer's gambling addiction, but I don't think that's super necessary. Um, and then in this tournament, Ulrich wins the division for swordsmanship, but ultimately he wants to be a jouster, not a swords swordsman. Uh, but in the joust, he damages his armor so much that he needs to get it repaired, but he doesn't have any money yet to get it repaired. So he ends up convincing Kate, who we talked about as becoming one of the, the main characters, to do that, she is an armor who the rest of the armors don't really trust her because she's a woman. Um, but he kind of like tricks her into helping them and then she eventually kind of joins their group. Then we are introduced to Count Adamar, the villain, who is also trying to woo Jocelyn, but he's very just rude and corrupting and you can tell he's evil, very dark and brooding and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um so as he's talking to Jocelyn, Chaucer tells William exactly what to say. And he kind of like swoops in. And then we get to one of my favorite parts in the whole movie, Chaucer's introduction. So he's kind of a, a man of like very big, extravagant words to the point where a lot of people just don't understand him or what he's even trying to say half the time. Uh, but fun fact, I actually used this introduction altered a little bit. Uh, to introduce someone at a retreat one time, like a speaker. And I was just, no one got it but me. But it was perfect because it's just like in the movie, they were just like silence. And then someone's like, yeah, and it was great. Uh, anyways, so I'm going to kind of go through that though, because I, I do think it is very beautiful and I think there's something to it. So this is his introduction. My lords, my ladies, and everyone else here not sitting on a cushion today, today, you find yourselves equals, for you are all equally blessed, for I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure 
of introducing to you a knight sired by knights, a knight who can trace his lineage back beyond Charlemagne. I first met him atop a mountain near Jerusalem, praying to God, asking his forgiveness for the Saracen blood spilt by his sword. Next, he amazed me still further when he saved a fatherless beauty from the would-be ravishing of her Turkish uncle. In Greece, he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound of a whisper. And so without further gilding the lily and without further ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein. And so a few things I want to point out. Firstly, the three things that he kind of showed as virtuous there. Mm. So I thought we could probably talk about those. Um, just in his summary at the end, he called it the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, and the enforcer of our Lord God. Um, so just any overall thoughts on like our desire of recognizing those three things as virtuous enough to see him as our hero? Which three did you say? The seeker of serenity, that those three? Yeah. Or, I mean, there's a longer version if you want to look at the, the whole, like, praying in Jerusalem. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was looking at the longer ones. I mean, one of the things that stands out without getting, by if you're looking at it very generally, I should say, is this idea of someone who journeys and someone who's, like, adventurous. And, like, this person has, like, a beautiful story who, like, has this power, but in that power has this humility and seeks like like it says serenity and like there's something like it, it's almost like there's a balance to both those sides and um it says protective italian virginity <laughs> which i think is more of like a sarcastic jab but this idea of um well it's because you protected the the girl in in italy why don't you take it away you've had time to think about this i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot that's no, okay um, i do it all the time it's true you do that uh yeah, so I I think maybe I guess it is a little easier to look at the longer ones because we see that the first thing that he says is virtuous is this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to pray, asking for forgiveness. So what he's asking for forgiveness for is obviously the um, the Crusades, right? The mm-hmm. uh, Saracen blood spilt by a sword. And so that's something that they would see as virtuous as well as these Christians seeing him as protecting the Holy Land, um, but asking for forgiveness. So not only doing what they deem to be right, but seeing that as an, uh, an evil, um, not evil in like, how do I want to say this? Seeing it as anytime you take a life, like that's always, there's something there uh, on your heart, right? Um, and so seeking forgiveness for that. And the next, he amazed me still further when he saved a fatherless beauty, right? And so we see there's something about um, just to morality in general, you know, just like the idea that if relativism was truth, which is kind of ironic, if relativism was true, uh, which is uh, disproves itself anyway. uh, But anyways, if that were the case, then it wouldn't matter if we protected this person, but we recognize that it is good. It is right. And it's just to protect uh, someone who cannot protect themselves, especially in this situation. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, the power of silence, I think. Um, I, I think we recognize how important silence is only when we experience it. And we as modern uh, people so rarely 
experience true silence, we can't truly appreciate it. Um, so that that's kind of the, the stuff that I, w- I was kind of pointing at, but I don't know if you have anything else now that I've brought that up. No, I think that's great. So the next thing I thought about from this quote is the, the power of words and the word. So obviously Christ being the word. Um, But we see throughout this movie and kind of in this introduction itself, but especially as people start to get used to Chaucer, they're very confused at first when he does this introduction, no one knows what their their reaction is supposed to be until Roland starts like screaming and clapping and stuff. And people are like, Oh yeah. Okay. But eventually they're waiting for it. They're Mm -hmm. seeking it. They want it. And we even notice that the other, um, uh, I don't know, people who do the introductions, I don't know what you call them. The other announcers for the other nights, they start to try and replicate uh, what Chaucer is doing. And so you see that there's this desire to copy that, to imitate that, to be like that. And in the same way, we see the word Christ himself can sometimes be confusing at first can be a little bit of a a put off, not because it's bad, but because we don't understand him. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we realize the beauty that lies beneath and and the power, soon we want to imitate that. We want to experience more of that. And I kind of saw that as a parallel in here. Yeah, no, totally. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't really know how to add on that. Um, but, I like the first part of just like, it's like, it's very wordy, what he's, his introduction. And, and it's also like, like I said, it's very uh, inviting and, and cool, but for everyone else, they're like, what is this? Because <laughs> they're making everything up. And I think we can have that same reaction to scripture, where if you're, you're not praying with it daily, or if you're not like diving or not even listening mm-hmm. at mass, you're like, what is this? But as soon as you really do break it open and like study it a little bit or just like dissect a line, uh, you realize like the depth of it and um, you, yeah. You're hungry for it. You just want more. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's good. I didn't even think about it in the the context of the literal word of of Mm -hmm. scripture. Yeah. So in this scene, in this very uh, joust that he just announced for, Adamar is sitting in the stands kind of explaining to Jocelyn, trying to teach her, I guess, more about jousting. And he explains that Ulrich is fearless because most knights raise their chins to protect their eyes, but he's not afraid. He keeps his eye on the target. So Jocelyn even says that. She says he keeps his eye on the target. He is a true hunter. And we see in this battle, he's actually going against Colville, who we later realize is actually... Prince Edward, the heir to the throne of England. And he gets hurt and he withdraws. Um, and then Adamar says, Colville withdraws. Why didn't Ulrich finish him? Jocelyn says, he shows mercy. And Adamar, showing his, his real inner thoughts, says, then he shows his weakness, for that is all mercy is. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh is it when we talked about this recently too i don't remember about like the idea of what it means to have like power i can't remember what episode that was but uh one this reestablishes the first point that you really wanted to make with the line he keeps his eye on the target like a true hunter um 
And so what you were saying of like, not just being satisfied in like money or like the, you know, the immediate reward, but being satisfied, being like, you know, almost thirsty for like this goal, which his was like to be known, but like this goal of like heaven, this goal of like, you know, not just to be satisfied that you keep your eye on, on that prize. Um, and don't, don't flinch essentially two for flinching. Uh, and then, yeah, this idea of mercy and that mercy or uh, humility or no, what's the other one that's, um, uh, what's that word that's always known, like people define it as like you're weak? Oh, uh, meekness. Meekness, exactly. Like that there's this meekness to mercy and love and like meekness is not like weakness, but it's like, it, it's, it's almost like, ex, like it's extremely strong or like even like courage, like true courage can be seen in like the lion of wizard of Oz who seems like a coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like this idea that he's scared, but he doesn't, doesn't keep him from go- c- continuing on the yellow brick road and all this idea. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just this skewed idea of what culture and I'm sure at the time, especially knights being like men, what culture shows as what mercy is or what culture shows what strength is or just that like winning and like their strategy to living. Um, he sings like, okay, I found his weakness. Like that's all you need to do to succeed in this. Um, but I'm sure as the movie goes on, what he thinks is his weakness is probably like his biggest strength. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah, going along with what you said about meekness we had a whole episode on that which was um uh the oh it was the the war horse episode dem mm-hmm. dem meek boys yeah i was on that one uh yeah that was me and steve but dem meek boys that was, that was a good one but we we actually go into the hebrew word for uh meek and how that actually means more of humble so i, I think you're right on there yeah and the other thing going back to what you're saying about uh william being the true hunter and keeping his eye on the prize. I didn't even think about this before, but he is one of the only characters who, as long as he keeps his eye on his pro- on his prize and doesn't get corrupted, because there's a part where he kind of gets sidetracked by his hate for Ad- Adamar. Anytime that he's not distracted by the hate for Adamar and he, he keeps his eye on his prize, he is always the most yeah. joyful and hopeful and like... Um, yeah, the the best example of hope in the entire movie, and that's something we're missing as Christians, as we've been it, talking about. Isn't there lot. like isn't there like a montage where like he's like demolishing every person he goes after, and yeah. then that hate comes in, and there's like a montage of just like losing one after another, and well, it's just... yeah, and that was because uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, actually. But yes, oh yes, he, yes, yes, yeah, he chooses. Never mind, he okay. chooses to lose, but right. there's a reason for that. So we'll kind of skip ahead because uh, what we're talking about now actually kind of <laughs> uh, hints at that. But so let's see. So uh, he actually ends up going up against Ulrich and he's beating or Ulrich goes up against Adamar. Sorry. And he's actually beating Adamar, but Adamar decides to play dirty and he ends up knocking William to the ground, which is he, he won from that. Um, but it knocked him into a flashback. And we see William as a boy, this peasant child in uh, London, I think. And he says that he wants to be a knight. And this 
peasant nearby is like a Thatcher's son, a knight, uh, it would be easier to change the stars. And so we see that change the stars thing come up again. And young William says, can it be done, father? Can a man change his stars? And his father says, yes, William. If he believes enough, a man can do anything. And what this brought up to me is the power of belief in the gospel. Uh, not like belief in the gospel, but like in the gospel, we hear because of your faith, you are, you have been saved, right? Christ right. says that all the time. Or if you uh, have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Um, and I don't want to do like the cliche of like, you can become anything. Cause like, right. there really are certain things that we just can't do. Like I will never be a professional basketball player. My body's not made for it. I just, it's not me. Right. Yeah. So just cause I believe I can, is not going to make it happen, but there's something to true belief, um, in a God who is all powerful and can make all things happen. And that's yeah. not to go back to what we were talking about last week where he's not Santa, he's not a genie, but there's power in that belief. Go ahead. I was going to say this, this goes into, once again, I feel like, you know, it's, it's ironic. We're kind of like going into a sabbatical because we always just kind of reference our own podcast a lot, <laughs> but we talked about this on the peanut butter fountain episode mm-hmm. where, you know, he wants to be a wrestler and then he's kind of reveals to Shia LaBeouf's character that he thinks that he has to be a bad guy character. And he's like, why? And he's like, because I'm a bad guy. Like that's what people have told me. And he's like, look, you know, there's stuff you're never going to do in life. You can't, you can't, you're not going to be a faint. Like you said, you're not going to be like the next NFL player, basketball player. Like you don't, you don't have hops. You're not, you're not going to be the next like super mathematician. He's like, but you can be a wrestler. Like when you pick me up out of the water, you were strong. You were built. You almost pulled my arm out of my socket. And I also know because I've been around you for a few days now, you have a good guy heart. And he's like, so there's certain things you can and can't do, but what you do want to do, you have the skills for, cause God is giving you those skills, but you need to believe in yourself. Like you need to have that belief. And that's what you're talking about. It's like, there's things we, you know, he's not going to be able to do everything, mm-hmm. but with the things that you, you know, with the things in scripture that t- it tells you to achieve what God's calling us into, whether you feel like you can or can't do that, if God's calling you into it, then you need to believe you can do it because God's going to give you everything. Yeah. 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 And so the next thing, um, it's, it's more of just a reference, so I'm not going to go into it, but Adamar says, and this line actually comes up three times throughout the movie. And this is mm. the first time I, I ever heard it. But now it's come up into the podcast, I think, three times in the last like two or three months. So it's Daniel chapter five, verse 27, where he says, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. And this is from the writing on the wall part that we've talked about multiple times now. But Adamar says, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And so we see that come up here and then twice at the end as well. Another reference I just want to bring out real quick is while they go to this big dance, Jocelyn Ulrich are there. uh, And Ulrich says to Jocelyn, Jocelyn, you look, well, you remind me of the Bible. And she's just like, "Uh, what? Uh, And he says, when God stopped the sun in the sky to give Joshua more time to defeat the Amorites, Jocelyn, I don't understand if I could ask God one thing, it would be to stop the moon, stop the moon and make this night your beauty last forever. 
Um, so not anything too major, but he did make a script reference. So I at least wanted to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Also, he's got a couple of just like sly <laughs> lines in here where you're just like, what are you saying? But he, he, he makes it work. All right. Makes it work. The girls listening to this are probably like, oh my gosh, no, just don't ever. That was that was smooth. Smooth like butter. All right. Uh, and so we see next um, that uh, this is kind of like where um, Ulrich is doing really, really well. And he's going to definitely end up with Adamar. But Adamar forfeits because he get goes up against Colville and realizes who it is, that it's actually Prince Edward. And so... Um, Ulrich gets really upset because he doesn't get to go up against him. And there's this little fight between Jocelyn and Ulrich. And this is where things start to get thrown off because Ulrich is now fighting out of his hate for Adamar rather than focusing on his true goal. And so there's this argument between the two of them where Jocelyn says, uh, a flower is only as good as its petals. And Ulrich says, a flower is good for nothing. You can't eat a flower. A flower doesn't keep you warm. And this is an idea that Steve actually brings up a lot called utilitarianism, where use equals value. If something is useful, then it is valuable. And that's not Christian or Catholic whatsoever. Um, Things, certain things have innate value uh, as humans we have innate value and this is actually something that we have a huge problem with today as a society i know you and i uh for a while we're trying to uh like move away from like the idea of like uh what were we there's like a word that we're trying to like stop using to avoid like the use mentality um i don't know there was something like that but yeah just this idea of like uh oh we did that that episode um when useless is useful that's what it was um and so just talking about how like it's a good thing sometimes to do something that is useless that doesn't have a purpose in of itself other than just like to do that thing and that's it totally. uh, like fun fun is not useful right it's not productive um i think that's what we were looking trying to avoid productive yeah well okay yeah yeah yeah. i don't know i mean the two things here is one you know the point that steve he always makes and it's it's true when you look at the use what is useful of a person or like that that's what leads to like the culture of death um but then too i mean you think about jesus who says you know you must become like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven and how often a child just like you know they're like hey let's play a game and you're like all right what's the game and they're like we're gonna um run around run to that corner and then go here because there's a monster and you're like all right where's the monster it's in another room all right this makes no sense whatsoever (laughs) and then they're just like super content and there's like no use to what you're doing it's totally useless but yeah if that's what but it's good but it's good. it's good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, there's like this, this falling out. Adamar gets sent to war. There's this really sweet letter that they all come together to write, to try and like apologize to Jocelyn. Um, 
and then there's kind of this cut scene where there's this actor who's acting out Peter's denial of Christ. So it's just kind of a little reference in there. And then eventually they come back together in Paris um, where William meets Jocelyn again. And he says to her, you seem to favor cathedrals. And Jocelyn says, I come for confession and the glass, a riot of color in a dreary gray world. Don't you think? And then after this, he vows to win the tournament for her, which is what Adamar had done earlier. And she just wants him to do more of his poetry from that love letter, but he can't because the others aren't there. And he's kind of like in the moment, he's not very good at that kind of thing. And she says, losing is a much keener test of your love. Losing would contradict your self-love and losing would show your obedience to your lover and not to yourself. Then he refuses to do that, but ends up doing it anyways. So she basically tells him to throw the matches, which is what you were talking about before, where he goes yeah. on this like losing streak. But this is why. Right. And I think of most modern movies, this is actually a pretty good understanding of love, even though she's like making him test it. But the way that she phrases that, I think is important. Well, I don't think it's also like a, a, a good test or explanation of love, but also obedience. Mm. Because this goes back to what I was saying in last week's episode on like, sometimes we want to be able to do something, but we can't. We're just called to be. And that being is like obedience to still being a disciple in, in the moment, even though we can't physically like, talk to the person or, or actually physically do anything and there's this thing where like sometimes obedience sometimes like the craziness or or the things we're called into aren't in a line with our own desires but we're still called to be obedient and what does he do he chooses to be i mean it's not really you know i mean it's a bad word in the situation because he's doing it out of love but does that make sense yeah, I, I think so. But yeah, just the idea that uh, like he his he, he would honestly rather win. Yeah, 100%. Then then I think I mean, he says that. Be, then I think be with her. But he does desire her so much. And he and there is this like, uh, essence of love. And in, in the same way that like, there is this essence of our love between us and God that is strong enough that if 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 she's like saying you know i need you to show me by losing just like god was like i need you to i need you to kill your son uh there's this obedience to that that abraham's like okay I'll, i guess i'll do it and to the point where god's like stop i get it you're faithful yeah does that make does that make more sense no it yeah it does um I, I hesitated just I was like thinking about the whole Abraham it's, it's, thing and how it's, God it's actually a, knows ahead of time that he's going to do it. Right. It's, it's, yeah, I know. But it's, it's a stretch and yeah. all these things. But that's one thing I see there, too. No, I, yeah, I think it's there. Um, all right. So for the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead quite a bit. They do end up going back to uh, London where they're actually from. And so this is the first time that William has been back in 12 years. Um, so the next thing that I want to bring up is that now that he's here, he actually tries to find his home. And so he goes one night, uh, to 
try and find his old home and realizes that his dad is still alive. And mm-hmm. so he finds out that his dad is now blind, but every night will sit at the window looking out waiting. And apparently the people around don't know what he's waiting for, but they know that he's looking out and waiting for something. And this reminded me of the prodigal son, uh, even though William wasn't like a miscreant, he didn't run away and steal the wealth. But it's this idea of like the father, even though he couldn't see, was waiting and watching. And just like how in the prodigal son, the father runs to him while he's still at a distance, which means the father's been standing out there looking and waiting for him so that he'd be able to see him coming from a distance. Right. And yeah, that's kind of the the connection that I thought there. And I just thought it was really, really beautiful. And they have this, this great reunion of just uh, joy and like weeping from, from the, the like joy of being reunited after so long, the, the son and the father changed so much during this time. Um, but it's just uh, a really beautiful scene, I think. Yeah. All right. Um, so because of that, though, Adamar had a spy that was following him. And so they find out, they have proof now that Will, uh, Ulrich is actually William, who is not a knight, that he's been faking this whole time. So he's a criminal. And so they are going to arrest him. And he knows that if he goes to his jousting match the next day, he will be arrested. But he decides to go anyways. And everyone's trying to convince him not to. And he says, my pride is the only thing that they can't take from me. But Jocelyn says, but they can take it from you. They can and they will. Oh, they will. But love they cannot take. I think that's powerful. Um, we have this idea that like our, our pride is, is ours and it's good and it's, it's something that is noble. And that's why he wants it because he sees it as a, something of, of the knights. It's, it's nobility. And that's what he wants to be. Um, but what she's saying is what the truly noble thing is, the true thing that you can hold on to and that you can't take away is your love. And you have that with us. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have more than, than that. I think that's more straightforward. I mean, the only thing is like what she's saying is like the ideology of like a martyr. Mm. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like you can take everything else from me. You can even, you can even if you have to, or if if, it, if that's the on the table, like my life, that's fine. But you can't take like, God's love and my faith and all this away from me, even if that's what you do. Mm-hmm. If anything, the church is going to just recognize that and it, it'll, it'll be glorified through God. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got just a couple more points here. So he does get arrested. He goes in anyways, he gets arrested. He goes to prison while he's tied up in jail. Adamar visits him. And as he's walking in, he says this line that I never really thought about until this last time that I watched it. Hmm. He says, he who strives to touch a star oft stumbles at a straw. And so I looked it up and this is a quote from a, uh, an essay called the, or short story called the shepherd's calendar by Edmund Spencer, who actually is largely influenced by Virgil and Chaucer, who ironically is a character in this story, (laughs) but he is an Anglican. Uh, I looked him up a little bit, did some research and he actually hates Catholics and believes that they are corrupt. Um, but this is from kind of a, like I said, a larger story. And 
I kind of have an excerpt to give us some context of where this comes from, um, but it's in like old English. So I have replaced some words. Um, okay. So you can kind of see in my notes there, but so this is kind of the full excerpt it says as well can prove the piercing lightning that seldom falls beneath them. Truly thou seeks like a lewd, ignorant, worthless fellow of heaven to demon. So how be I am, but rude and rustic yet nearer ways. I know to church the nearer from God more far has been an old said saw. And he that strives to touch a star oft stumbles at a straw. As soon may shepherd climb to sky that leads in lowly dales as gathered, as gathered proud that sitting high upon the mountain sails. Uh, so it's again, old English. So it's kind of hard to understand even with me replacing some of the words. Um, but essentially what it's, what's getting at here uh, is this idea of a person trying to stretch and reach heaven, um, which is ironic in this sense, because that's the exact comparison that we were making for him. But the way that this writer, um, Spencer, is, is trying to put it, it's like someone who's trying to be God. Mm. And his, his writing, that, that main line that was quoted there of when we try to reach the star, when we try to reach a heaven, we stumble at a straw. So the smallest thing can trip us up when we're trying to become God. Um, yeah. And so I, I thought this was interesting because it's in, in that light, it's almost this idea that when we don't understand what we're reaching for, and even if we do, like we're going to stumble, we're going to have these things that are going to trip us up. And if we don't have that strong foundation, if we're trying to go about this ourselves, you know, we don't have, um, that relationship with Christ that we're working and pursuing that, like we talked about last week, it's going to be easier and easier to stumble to smaller things. And we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We talked about this, but when we have that base, when we build up those relationships and those accountability and that uh, we're rooted in, in prayer and scripture and the sacraments, hopefully we're able to avoid some of those smaller pieces of straw um, and, and avoid some of those, those falls, you know? Yeah. And I think also something else that's really interesting is that Virgil who, or Edmund is Edmund who's not hates Catholics. Yeah. Edmund so Spencer. Edmund who wrote this, you know, is on her, his perspective of someone who's trying to strive to touch heaven. And then you have Adamir who's talking about someone who's trying to achieve greatness and he's viewing uh, William's relationship with his father and his relationship with uh, Jocelyn as a weakness mm. because that's how he stumbled. Yep. And he's like, look, his mercy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Someone who, uh, someone who is trying to touch heaven because you love your father so much and because you have love with this girl, you've, you've lost. And it's like, no, no, no I haven't. <laughs> and, and we see, well, spoilers, but we see next because of those relationships, he is set free and he, he achieves his goal. So I don't which want to is cut you in, off. Which is in the acts of the apostles. 
where they're in prison time and time again. And then they're like, how did he get out? And it's because of their relationship with God who like opens up, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's actually jump into that because that's actually my next note. So as he is uh, locked up in the stocks, uh, his friends come and they, they defend him, even though people are throwing stuff at him, they stand there. Watt makes his usual threats of pain, lots of pain. But what's crazy is Prince Edward shows up and he comes up and he says, what a pair we make both trying to hide who we are, both unable to do so. Your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. But you also tilt when you should withdraw. And that is nightly too. And he says, release him. He may appear to be of humble origins, but my personal historians have discovered that he is descended from an ancient royal line. This is my word. And as such, it is beyond contestation. Now, if I may repay the kindness you once showed me, please take a knee. And then he knights him as Sir William. So we see this prince come in who bestows, uh, who bestows freedom, right? He pays the price. Uh, and so it's kind of like this idea of prince of peace coming in, this prince, Christ, um, bestowing freedom based off of that relationship that you were just saying, where mercy was not the weakness that, uh, Adamir thought it's actually what freed him because if he didn't show mm-hmm. like mercy in that uh, mm-hmm. battle, he never would have been freed here. Right. So yeah. it, it kind of comes full circle. I think you, yeah. you hit the, the nail on the head. And then the, the knighting just reminds me of like the true meaning of like the parable of the prodigal son, you know, how's so like, like the prodigal son and like the, um the idea that when you take your father's estate and like squander it that like your name like the removal of name their the separation of like identity and he like restores that because he comes from this ancient royal line almost like this line of the king of david um uh, this family of christ um and just like the father who of in prodigal son where everyone else in the town knows that the son is never allowed to come back and ever be a part of like the family line or the name again is like, you are still welcome here. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. And that's actually a connection that I made too, of like the, he comes from an ancient Royal line. Mm -hmm. That's a hundred percent Jesus. You Mm -hmm. know, I was literally just listening to a homily by Bishop Barron that was talking about how that Davidic line had been lost for so long. Yes. But it was traced to Christ. Right. How important that is. Uh, and so I have a few other notes, but ultimately they end up coming head to head, uh, Adamar versus, um, now Sir William, he wins. And then they quote that, uh, you have been weighed, you have been measured, you've been found wanting, uh, right back to him as, as, uh, William defeats him. That's kind of the end. Uh, it's, it's a great movie a few themes that so we've kind of t- touched on these already. Obviously there's tons of just Christian references built in there. Most of them are like poking small jabs at Christianity. Nothing too offensive, like I said before, um, but there are references in there. The other big thing is identity and destiny, which we kind of talked a lot about right. being able to change your stars. This is something we talked a lot about in the Avatar Zuko episode a couple months ago. Um, so if you want to know more about that, it's just the, the balance of like God having this 
this plan for you, this destiny for you, but your ability to interact and be a part of that destiny as well. So the perfect and permissive will of God and what that looks like. Uh, the next thing was kind of our, our big theme here of pursuing the end goal and not just set on for the immediate pleasures, but pursuing that end goal of sanctity, holiness, and heaven. And then the last two kind of uh, themes there I have are um, the idea of love, which is a, a huge component to this, not just romantic love, but just uh, filio love, which is your love of friendships and also your familial love we see between him and his father, uh, which is really beautiful. And then just virtue, which we hear mostly in the different introductions from Chaucer and stuff like that. So that's what I got. Sweet. With that, possibly uh, our uh, last uh, challenges before the season closing next weekend. What do you have for challenges? Let's make them good. Mm. <laughs> and here we are. I don't know. <laughs> do you have any, have any set? Uh, I, I thought of one and I forgot it. So now I'm thinking. I mean, I feel like a lot of the challenges have been the same for like the last six weeks because one thing that comes to mind is is like once again his, this idea that he 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 had pursuit of one thing first and that was knighthood which he ultimately got but he got it as soon as he stopped trying to achieve knighthood and focused more on relationships and focused mm. more on like uh humility and all these other things so like this growth in virtue and this growth in community and so it's like we all have desires in our heart so i would challenge you to kind of like measure what those are and kind of d discern or or examine uh, almost like a list of like are they healthy desires are they desires of god or the desires of, of personal desires and then the ones that are good and of god and things that are achievable uh you know almost like see what people in your life, what, what uh, skills or talents in your life are, are given to achieve that and invest more in those. Like what virtues are you lacking? Don't invest in the next step that gets you to that goal, but invest in the talents, invest in the people and invest in the virtues that are needed to be strengthened and to achieve that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately pursuing that end goal, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So I think my challenge for you guys this week is pretty simple. Um, but also one of the most important challenges I think we can possibly give you. And that is, we talked about the power of the word hmm. read scripture. Uh, and if you don't know where to start, start with the gospels. I recommend the gospel of Mark, but just read scripture. If you're not doing it, um, daily, you should be doing it at least once or twice a week outside of mass. Uh, and that's if if we don't know the word how are we ever going to recognize the voice of christ right we need to know his word and his story and like we said before if we're not familiar with that we'll never truly understand it and it'll always be that foreign confusing uh jarble of words that chaucer throws at us uh, so read scripture know it if you can study it um, i think that's really important for us to do as, as christians especially today so with that, shout outs. I do have one shout out, which is actually the person who requested this. 
feel like we've given her a ton of shout outs recently, but she's been contacting us. So that's what happens. Rachel Meinsinger requested this uh, a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was an awesome idea to do. I can't believe we hadn't done it yet. So I'm glad we got it in. Yeah. Do you have any? I do. I have one, probably something we'll be talking about next week. And that is shout out to all you guys. Uh, just as Clint Ford mentioned in the beginning of this po- uh, podcast, uh, w- next week is the last episode of season three. And after that, we are, are taking what he has coined a sabbatical. Uh, where we're just going to be pausing for a while um, during this time of pandemic because our lives have changed. You know, he has said over the last six months, which is true over like this last pandemic, but also just over the last three years since this podcast began, I wasn't even here when it started. And then here we are and everything's just so different. And, uh, you know, we have such a big dream for this and such a, such a, such so many things we want to do that we want to make sure we're doing it right we want to make sure we're doing it for you because like i said you're my shout out and without you guys as listeners um we would really be doing this in vain um and so thank you guys and we're just going to try to take a break we don't know what that looks like we don't know for how long we don't know in what aspect uh there will be things between now and a possible revival um, that are still going to be being done and created. Uh, but we want to just kind of like reevaluate and kind of reassess and make sure that our own sites and lives and things are just in good order. And um, so that if, if this continues, it's at its, it's at its best and it's at uh and it's at God's fullest glory, but also for you. Yeah. Amen. So otherwise, if you are just now tuning in, we have tons of other episodes, tons of other things you can check, even if we're going on sabbatical. Uh, and you can find that at our website, thechristinculture.com. You know, take your time, obviously, maybe. Uh, we also have Facebook. If you want to like, like that page, if you want to comment, if you want to let us know, let you miss us, whatever. That's a Facebook forward slash the Christ and culture. And we have a Twitter, which the handle is at on the adventure Two. Um, I'm not typically big on Twitter typically, but maybe with this extra free time, I'll start blowing it up. <laughs> we'll see, you know, maybe this is the time where social media will just like come alive. Yeah. We'll just be the new Twitter podcast. That, yes. Yeah, so that's so going to happen. Just follow us and, uh, start bugging us. Um, and yeah, if you have any feedback, if you have any comments, if you have anything, you just want to get to know us, email us through the website, comments on our social media. Uh, if you're listening to this, no matter whether this is in real time or a year from now, and you're like, oh, you're on sabbatical, still, you know, let us know what you think. Give us that five-star rating on whatever platform, because even these, if these episodes are old, rating a podcast is just this crazy social media algorithm thing that pushes us to the top, lets more people see us, and that just spreads this idea. And I, I think the more this could spread even afterwards is the more likely we we were like, oh, we should definitely be continuing this. Um, yeah. So let us know what we're doing. Anything else? 
that is it. Uh, other than that, we're just excited to come back with you guys for, for next week for this final uh, episode of this season. And yeah, we're excited to see you then. Three seasons in a movie. Three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. We're going to have a movie. The Christ in Culture. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys for joining us on the adventure, not just for this episode, but for the last three years. It really has been quite the adventure. So we will see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>